to Season 2 of the Fictional Bookshop, an immersive storytelling podcast for book lovers. Explore the first chapter of your next favorite book, from epic adventures to fantastic worlds to cozy characters. This week, the Fictional Bookshop has a copy of A Breaking of Realms by Jasmine Young. A brisk wind rustles by you on your way into the small mountain town. White snow caps the mountain in the distance and even brushes the high peaks of the sharp roofs of the quaint little village. Vacationing nearby, you thought you would take a look at the shops, but the view of the mountain and the crisp air alone were worth the trek. Your gaze lands on a shop nearby, the light layer of snow on the cobblestones crunching as you step closer. You notice books through the glass window and head right over. It's been a while since you've been in a bookstore. A wall of pleasant heat greets you when you open the door, a gentle chime sounding as you do. You smell wood smoke and spot a fireplace in the far back corner of the shop. Though it's autumn, really, this place feels almost like winter, and the relief from the fire is tantalizing. You head straight over, your gaze roving over the books as you pass through the aisles. At the end of the last row, however, you spot a book with an epic dragon on the cover. When you notice a comfortable chair beside the fireplace, you snag the book off the shelf, sink into the cushions, and open up the book to read. Chapter 1. Right Fest In the far north, on the western fringes of the world, which is called the Long Cold or Scon Cold in the Spenning, one cannot say if the second breaking of the realms began with the scorch that would soon streak from the dark skies, or the reeve that took all the lives at Osmondel. For Skalda Branwright, it began with the dreams, the dream of falling. She was falling in the dark, winds rushed up into her face, her limbs were breaking through clouds. She was freezing and burning, but the fall would not end. The quaking air meant to tear out her eyes. A foreign voice pulsed into her mind. Help! 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 Skalda burst upright off her pallet. The dream ended, and she was back in her corner of the barn. The pure terror from the dream was fading, but the voice lingered. Help! Not her own. Not any coherent human word, but it had been a consuming feeling. She pressed a hand over her eyes, evening out her breathing. It was many solstices since she'd had dreams, and none this vivid. Help! Help! Even now, the plea echoed in her mind like the fading ring of steel. A new voice called to her from outside, this one solid and human. Scalda? Scalda! Before she could rise, the barn doors groaned. Whoever was on the other side attempted to push it through the snowbank, cursed, and pushed harder. A young man came tumbling through. Daft, said K.L., stepping past him into the barn. Scalda, you're awake and ready, right? Matt, her other best friend, picked himself up and dusted snow off his slovenly robes. They looked like the same ones he had worn and slept in since the beginning of time. Of course not. Pick this of all days to sleep in. What would your mothers think, she said, showing up unannounced in my bedroom. Bedroom? K.L. squinted at the half-frozen peeling rafters and the four chickens and you she had as housemates. Leap off, Raffinfjall, K.L., as if you live in a manse. He smiled, and she tossed aside her patched blankets and wriggled into the oversized coat crumpled at the foot of her bedstead. It was paler than even her hair, made of scaldwolf fur. Unlike the wool cloaks most islanders wore, this one was a fraction of the weight only about three lumens. It would keep her warm enough for today. Lastly, she snatched Snoga her axe off the crude nail fixed above her wooden pallet. Oh good, said Matt. She's ready before she shows up late for her own right fest. And he was back out the door. 
Have you had breakfast yet? said Kale. I'm not hungry. Scalda, you need to eat. His voice faded as she glanced through the barn door. Nothing hovered in the skies but glacial clouds. Kale touched her back. Everything all right? Though the plea from her dream troubled her, she nodded and followed Matt out. Her boots crunched over the ice, and the familiar sting of the north smarted her cheeks. Scalda inhaled the cold, hating and cherishing it. Glancing at the sky alone would not tell her the time of day, even in the spring. It was always a dramatic slate, but the buzzing energy on Bregan Island suggested it was the eighth hour. Late. Too late. Usually she was up by the fourth. They left behind Sculler's Row, the poorest district on the island, and wound around Seven Fisks, the frozen bite where Herser Birka ran his fishing operations. She shooed aside a flock of sheep. Skull Post was on the other side of Bregan's village. They would have to pass through more of the whimpering creatures and a score more longhouses before they made it. Scalda crossed through the wealthier Ginung district where Matt lived before becoming a rider. She caught the faint scents of oats in the wood smoke. Someone was boiling their porridge with honey. Her belly pulled. Her last meal had been yesterday morning, stone-hard barley tossed with mugwort and thistles she found in the Krigsgald. But her body was used to hunger, and her thoughts soon drifted again. By the time they reached the feast grounds outside Bremer's Hall, the morning air was thundering. Scalda widened her eyes. It looked like every able body of the Skonkald's twelve islands had gathered on Bregan. It was a grand two hundred people in one spot, more people than she was used to seeing. We found her, Matt yelled, waving his hands at no one in particular. He was thick inside the crowds. Bodies jostled into Scalda, drawing her glares. Most of the adults at the Dragon Post's outdoor long tables were drunk, though that was not unusual. Make way, skits, Matt hollered. Make way for the hunter of Scald wolves. K.L. stayed close to her side, sensing her discomfort. Skull Post hosted Rightfest every five solstices, a rite of passage for anyone who passed their 15th solstice but was no older than their 21st. In Joffrey Anders's mind, this was arranged safe enough to participate in the dangers of the event. Though gatherings at the Post were nothing new to her, Skalda could never get used to them. Matt, Skull Post's second, helped her wriggle to the front. All the island heads were present, along with Skull's remaining three riders. Their little pickas stayed by their side. Dragons though they were, pickas had round heads with two short ears in place of majestic horns. They more resembled grass snakes on wings, cute but hardly formidable. And of course, there was Yelderman Joffreyd Anders himself, post leader and official authority of the Skonkald. Their backs were turned to Raffenfjall, the iced peak across the fisheries. It was an imposing sight, even though it was half an hour's jog away. She waited to feel nervousness, but her senses were a glacier of calm. All right, all right, is everyone here? Anders was shouting from his dragon Nornseer's saddle. If not, Miss Wrightfest at your peril. This solstice's prize is incomparable to any other. Skalda glanced around at her competitors. Though most were her age, she was smaller than all of them. Even so, the Ginung children wore cloaks of wool so heavy her back ached just looking at them. Others clung to their parents and wailed for an exemption. Their paps and mums urged them to at least give themselves a chance. Soft mutton, she thought. Remind you of the rules today, Anders called. Everyone knew the rules, but the buzz magnified as the precursory ceremonies moved to a foreseeable end. Your only goal is to climb Raffenfjall to the top and back, following the blue signposts. You must follow the posts. To aid you, you may select one weapon of choice. He lowered his voice dramatically. For the Scald Wolves. Many young men cheered, though a few parents whimpered. It's all theatrics, a Ginung father assured his boy. Skalda trained her eyes ahead. If they scaled Raffenfjall, they would certainly encounter Scald Wolves. 
Of course, you can appeal to Fingolfa's ravens for mercy at any time. Simply yell, Mercy, Fingolfa, and you may turn back, but you will sit out for the remainder of the fest. The older boys in front of Skalda snickered. What? said Kael, catching her shake her head in disgust. Anders is so tender, she whispered. I don't think this is how the Vigardians hosted Rightfest in Old Sven. Back then, you make it through or you don't come home. Good thing we aren't Vigardians, Scald. Whoever touches the last signpost will earn this solstice's prize, and there is only one prize. Anders paused for effect. It worked. Puffs of beer breath soured the air as the cheering burgeoned. The Elderman nodded at Matt, his post second. Matt squirmed out of the crowd and made for the long table behind his post leader. A chest sat atop. He swung the lid back and brought to Anders something bundled in threadbare velvets. Sliding down his dragon saddle, Anders lifted it high in the air. Behold, the winner shall receive a touch to the egg of an eld. Skalda's heart skipped. Suddenly she was awake and hungering. Even on her toes, she could not see it well. The cheers around her turned into roars of Anders's name. Eld dragons grew to a wingspan of 75 paces across, so it was said, with wing speeds like a ballista's bolt. They were beautiful, too, slender with spiked heads that bore two great pronghorns. Miniature great dragons, they were. As a child, she had pored over the bestiary in Anders' office, daydreaming about the rare dragons she might one day bind with if she ever became eligible to join the order. I didn't know he was keeping an eld egg, she murmured. Must have just acquired it, said K.L. Probably sold his life savings. And his soul. I'm impressed he wouldn't keep it for himself. Look at him. The retired Republic Centurion looked more animated than he had in ages, yet even a right fest could not hide the haggard bags around his eyes. He's pining for his fifth rider. Of course he is, Kale whispered back. What is he, an elderman of 118 chapters? 119? Get it right or he'll take your head off. Kale grinned. Neither of them knew much about chapters, only that they were a unit of measurement the order used to quantify a dragon's battle experience and his rider's rank. Look, Kale elbowed her. You have competition. The boys at the very front, Kettle Asger and Otter Halston, sneered at the rest of the contestants. Both were Breck boys from the island over. She recognized them all too well. Four solstices ago, they had stoned Alvers, Matt's cat, to death. For fun. Kale was right. Nothing would stop them from doing the same to her on the mountaintop and blaming it on the wolves. They shouldn't assume it'll hatch for them, she said. Anders's hollers soared above the crowds. All right, all right, file in, champions, one at a time. Choose your weapon. Remember, you are permitted one. Skalda had not cared enough about Rightfest to wake up at the third hour just to line up early, but now she regretted it. Kael accompanied her to the back of the line. Seventeen youths stood ahead of her, edging toward the tables. Anders kept only three of everything. Once a weapon class was claimed, it was gone. The contestant ahead of her, Helga Ivars, clamped her mother's arm and burst out, Mercy, Fingolfa! The feast grounds roared with laughter. Helga's face reddened. Tears streamed down to her chin. She let go of her mother and fled back to Ginnung. Kael shook his head. Her parents wailed for her to come back. Skalda felt no pity. Ahead, Kettle selected the only sword on display, an old one Anders had retired for a modern short sword. Kettle's best man, Otter, chose a double-headed axe that made Snoga appear a picka to an eld. By the time Skalda, the last one in line, made it to the tables, all the axes and pikes had been taken. That left her only the bows, dull daggers, and caltrops. A codfish could use a bow better than her, and blunt daggers and caltrops would be of no use against a pack of Skald wolves. Anders trotted up to her. All the good ones have been taken, eh, Skald? She shrugged. He nodded to Snoga. Or you could always take her with you. 
The contestants were back with their sprawling families all waiting on her. Scalda kept walking the length of the tables, studying everything that was left. She keenly felt Kettle and Otar's eyes. No one had touched the weapon class on the last table. On it remained three wooden shields half the length of her body, iron-plated in the center to guard her hand. She passed her axe to Anders and took a shield. This will do. Behind her, Kettle jeered. No blade for the wolf hunter? Are you that arrogant? His friends and cousins hooted. Matt cupped his hands around his mouth. Hey, shut up, skipfish. Then her best friend rushed to take her side. Scald, he laughed with embarrassment. This is a joke, right? She inspected the shield's durability. His smile dropped. By the ravens, she's serious. Anders rubbed his well-kept gray beard. Even he looked puzzled. Matt lowered his voice. Hey, wake up. I need you to hatch that elk so you can share the latrine responsibilities of the post. K.L. stepped between them. Go away, Matt. It's her right fist. He nodded at her shield. Sublime choice, my friend. Shove off, both of you, Scalda pushed through them. Anders and the island heads moved off the mead grounds and toward the frozen shoals of Brigand's limits. The horde followed him, their sheepskin shoes dirtying the snow. The next time Anders stopped again, Raffenfjall towered behind him. He rattled off the rules for surrender one more time. Most were pawing the ground. The Breck boys wrestled themselves to the front, poised to sprint at the post leader's signal. A freckled girl was clinging to her grandfather while a chubby boy choked back a sob. What are you thinking? said Kael, observing her. Matt trailed her gaze and said, Soft meat for Scald to eat. Basically, she said. Scalda was twitching, ravenous for dear Anders to close his big mouth. Behind her, a woman shouted her name. Her heart leapt. It was her mother. Her invalid mother had actually dragged herself away from the hearth to make it to her daughter's right fist. She turned, and her chest hardened. It was not her mother, but Sigrun Bernhild, Matt's mum. Of course her mother was not here. Frigga, Matt's little cousin, waved and grinned at her. Scalda tried to muster any sort of emotion on her face, but that alone was always an endeavor. In the end, she offered as lively as a shrug she could and turned back. The Bernhilds had always been more of a family to her than the Bran Wrights. I can't believe my baby has grown up, Matt shuffled over with outstretched arms. Come here, give me a hug. Don't touch me, she said. Kale said, don't be too sentimental now. How about, Matt pretended to sniff away tears, don't make second place. Don't get killed, Kale offered. Scalda said, don't put all your bloody hope in me. Anders drew his sword and raised it to the marble sky. Commence, right fest. Everyone around Scalda, those who had not already surrendered, was sprinting over the ice. Kettle and Otar naturally made it first to the frozen cove below the mountain. They had prepared for this Rightfest all their lives, even if they had not known what this solstice's prize would be. Nearly everyone was ahead of Scalda, but that changed when Oscar, Rotter Crumb's pudgy son, jogged past her. He wheezed and shrugged at her. She was officially the last. Scalda was the only one sauntering, making no hurry at all. The distant cheers and sense of meat and smoke were fading. She almost heard Matt moaning over the drifts. Come on, Scald, run! What are you doing? The Eld! She rebalanced the shield over her back and continued at her leisure. No matter how many right fests, everyone seemed to forget that the trail was four hours one way, with an elevation gain on 3,000 feet. This was a grueling hike that would take an entire day. Fools started with sprinting and ended with vomiting. To reach the base of Raffenfjall, one had to wind along the sandbar of the cove, away from the islands and into the coniferous darkness of the Kriegsgald. She had hunted in these forests plenty, but never personally climbed the Skonkald's tallest mountain. 
All she knew about the journey was what Matt and Kael had told her about their own Rite Fest's five solstices before. A quarter hour in, the first signpost appeared, the top slathered in blue dye. It marked the end of the Escara Bay and the entrance to the trail, if one could call the uneven slopes that, into the towering sentinel guarding the west. At this angle, she had a good view of Raffinfjall's lee side. Kettle was still in the lead, Odar slightly behind. The rest of the crowd followed a hundred paces or more behind. No one was sprinting anymore. The gentle incline at the base of the trail warmed Skalda's hands, though she was hardly sweating. She passed Oskir, now vomiting over the rocks. He glanced at her, his wind-bitten cheeks green. Oh, help us all, his wet eyes said. She shrugged and kept her course. Though it was mid-spring, the snows were still thick in this sterile wilderness. She trod carefully up the stair of jagged rock, searching for any signs of rotten ice. Out here, that would be a more likely danger than the Scald Wolves. The trail formed a natural gorge caught between low barriers of granite. All she saw ahead were more right festers and a path that climbed ever higher into the cloud-streaked heavens. Sufficiently warmed now, Skalda hastened her pace. Her hamstrings sang at the burn of the climb. As Brigan Island's huntsman, she often scaled lesser hills and mountains by necessity. So far, this was nothing. She risked moving a pace faster. With her smaller legs, a step from one stone stair to the next was nearly a leap for her, but nothing that stole the wind out of her lungs. She passed more islanders. Most were panting hard. A pair of girls glanced at her, their eyes as sullen as Oscar's had been. Theirs said, Are we almost at the top? Skalda pitied them. If the contestants knew about the three flights, the three steepest parts of the trail which Matt and Kale had called Hell's Paradise, most would not have wasted their energy on a sprint across the ice. She passed six more youth, her own breaths falling a little shallower, but still she was far from winded. The higher she climbed, the more her mind obsessed over the egg. The thought of broken-toothed Brex claiming her L-dragon was insufferable. She had to make it back to Brigand first. Hatching an Eld would allow her to escape the scon called and build a better life for herself. The anxious thrill tormenting her belly surprised her. The dusty old pika eggs at Skull Tower had never hatched for her, she thought she had long resigned herself to the quiet life of indigence. But flames on Anders after so many solstices, she was hoping again. This was her one chance, last chance, to join the Order. Anders rarely had the funds to acquire more eggs for his post, and she had a feeling this would be his last. To become an Eldrider could descend her into Elandria's most elite ranks. Primarchs and Dukes, even Dragonlords, rode Elgs. She dared lift herself into a light jog. The next post came at the end of the bend. Skalda now stood high above the cove she had trudged over to begin the trail. The uneven path ahead twisted around the south side of the mountain and up toward the west. Two islanders abreast could barely fit. To the left was a sheer drop into the Krigsgald's infinite forests. Occasionally, fools died on this path, making the climb after a midnight bender or glancing over the edge to admire the scenery and slipping. She would have to be cautious out here. Passing the post, she forced herself to slow again and pace herself. The first flight was about to begin. She estimated she was some 800 paces high, or about one-third of the way through the trail. The last two hours had dashed past her notice. Out here, the crowd was much sparser. Still, several older young men and women climbed ahead of her, the wiriest in the scone called. After the third hour, Skalda passed most of the contestants in sight. None were Kettle or Adar. Outwardly, she remained calm, but she was feeling harried. One girl ahead was off to the side, clutching the wall of snow and rock. Yilva Solveig, that little Bregan doll, was always throwing glances at K.L. She heaved for air and looked a little more than sick. The moment they caught eyes, Yilva quickly looked away. 
By the time she reached the end of the first flight, Scalda was panting like a mongrel. Her thighs burned. She took a moment to sit on a rock and take a few swigs from her leather skin. Raven, she was so grateful she had not eaten breakfast, and to think there were two more flights still to go. Against her body's will, she forced herself back up and continued her arduous journey. The Eld, she reminded herself. The Eld, the Eld. The cutting winds rose. Flurries briefly obscured the next signpost waiting for her some fifty paces ahead. The temperatures were dropping. Most islanders would not notice the swish of fur tails so quiet they might be mistaken for swaying spruces. Scalda heard it all. She reached for her belt and grimaced when she remembered Snoga was with Anders. As she climbed, she studied the new terrain. Scaldwolves rarely howled. These were the most feared predators in the Skonkald. Even the pick-a-dragons of Skull Post avoided hunting in the Krigsgald, which was why Scalda had taken to the hunter's axe. Stopping man-eaters and selling superior fur paid well enough, especially when no one else dared take the job. The Skalds were whiter than glaciers, quieter than the night. Her mother had named her after them. Nothing appeared on the path, which was comforting. Her entire plan was contingent on not meeting the Scald Wolf. If she had to wrestle with one without Snoga, it would be a losing battle. Scalda permitted herself ten more deep breaths before she started onto the second flight. By this point, no more Rightfesters were in sight. She had passed them all, except the Breck boys. There should not have been this much distance between them, but she quelled her agitation with quiet breaths. It was still only the second flight, with more than a thousand paces to the summit. Still time to win. This section of the trail curved through a tangle of larches and pine. Lichen-weathered stone paved it. It was not even all that steep, at least not compared to the first flight. But the path itself was tucked between crags and extremely precarious. Every several paces, the unpacked earth crumbled into small drops. The only way forward was to climb up rocks to reach the next grassy landing. If she fell into the chasms between the crags, the descent would be fatal. As Scalda crawled, gripping low-hanging tree branches for balance, the rush of paws whispered louder. She gritted her teeth. If the wolves saw her bridging chasms like this out here without her axe, it would be an easy meal. An hour later, the next signpost appeared over a hedge of lingonberry bushes. The wintry evergreen scents mingled with the earthy freshness of blooming wildflowers. Scalda relished none of it. She was pouring sweat now, despite the cold. She shed her fur cloak and leaned against a larch, pulling out her water skin again. Her appetite was a furnace burning a hole through her belly. Perhaps breakfast had been a good idea. Exhaustion urged her to stay and rest, but her anxiety turned into a knife lodged in her gut. She was almost halfway up the trail, yet Kiedo and Otter were still ahead. The image of them riding her beautiful eld over Sculler's Row scorched her enough to swallow down water and keep going. The trail ahead was smooth for once, a mild upward slope drawing ever closer toward the mountaintop. No sharp drops, no wolves. Distant ravens called over the dark spears of spruces, urging her to hurry along. But her limbs were shaking with exhaustion, and her cold anger was wearing her down. She ignored her own faint warnings to pace herself and broke into another jog. The Breck boys would not touch that final signpost. As luck would have it, Otter appeared at the base of the third flight. His back was turned to her, his cloak soaked like he had dunked himself into one of the Herser fishing holes. The young man was moving at a pace slower than the Noth's glaciers. It was his double-headed axe. The weight of the weapon dragged him down. Fool. Three hundred paces above, Kettle's silhouette ascended higher. Like the first flight, this one bended back over the frozen sea between the islands. The mountain was cruelest out here. The third flight was a sheer climb of almost 90 degrees. It offered no natural barricades or solid footholds to the summit. The only way up and down the other side of Rothenfjall was to take this pass. 
Most Rightfesters would turn back here, but Scalda wiped the cold sweat from her forehead and quickened her jog. It would be over if Kettle was still ahead of her before she reached the peak. She caught up to Audar within the next sixty beats. Hearing her boots crunching on the snow, he glanced back at her. Kettle would never have let you in, she said. You knew that. He looked away miserably. Her lungs were howling for mercy now, but she forced herself to keep hiking upward at double pace. She was gaining on Kettle. Her heart slammed against her chest. All she had to do was pass him, and she would have the full confidence of victory. Whirlwinds of bone chill cut her from all directions. Every few beats, flurries obscured the way ahead past twenty paces. Scalda fought for breath, her calves aflame. Still, she was gaining on Kettle. He, too, was desperate for rest, but their pride kept them pushing their bodies to the limit. At the final quarter up the third flight, Raffinfial exposed a breathtaking vista of the Skan called. It was an inlet dusted with twelve islands, Bragan and Breck, Dringid and Kilbo, Torp and Toftir, Lundby and Cumbria, and who knew what else? In this present age, the islands were lumps of black rock wedged into the ice. Surrounding the Skan called east to west were granite mountains guarded by the boreal forests of the Kriegsgald. But what stole her attention now was the terrain north of the islands, the Noth. This eternal, glassy wasteland used to be an ocean before the freezing. Skalda knew it had to be true because the islanders boiled chunks of its ice for salt. Myths surmised that the Noth was as much as 2,500 spans south to north, which of course was the end of the world. Not that anyone could say for certain. A Svenish with the wits of a crow did not go beyond Dog's Head, the glacier three leagues north of the fisheries. Two coats of scald fur on the man's back would not sustain him till morning. She had never observed the Noth from this height. As the snows curtained back to let her see it in full, she paused for a breath. The stories were true. It was boundless. Besides the distant ice storms, nothing interrupted that divine white. Nothing but the patterns in the ice sheets. Scalda narrowed her eyes. The glacial rifts and ravines formed esoteric symbols. They were made of whorls a hundred times the size of Bregan. Their depths were unfathomable. No man could have formed this, yet neither was it a natural formation. The oracular pattern turned her wonder into unease. A faint voice echoed in the sky. Help! Help! She gazed up at the churning abyss of clouds. Their undulating waves cast titanic shadows over the glyphs. Scalda narrowed her eyes, but nothing appeared in the heavens. Yet she swore she heard the faraway plea for help. Neither Kettle nor Adar stopped. They could not hear. The memory in her dreams of falling imposed itself over her present. It weighted her spirit with portent. She could not keep looking straight into the sky without the ice winds cutting her eyes raw. By the time she pulled away, the squall obscured the mountainside again, along with her view of the Noth. Once more, she remembered her singular purpose. Kettle was only ten paces ahead now. A violent gust killed him over onto his hands. He wheezed for air and did not get back up. The ravens were on her side. Heartened by her luck, Scalda resumed her jog up the slope. Breathing was becoming difficult at this altitude, and an instinctual warning told her that if she did not slow, she would pass out from exhaustion. If that happened on the third flight, she would die. Neither Anders nor his riders would hear about it soon enough to fly her out before she froze. Yet she kept jogging. The end of the last flight and the trail to the top was less than ten paces now. She would win that eld. Twenty paces became fifteen, then ten, and the ground gave way under her. Scalda opened her mouth in a silent scream. 
rotten ice. She was so focused on the way ahead, she had forgotten to keep glancing at the path beneath her for safety. And she was falling. She was plummeting backwards down the entire length of the third flight. Heart racing, you close the book of Breaking of Realms by Jasmine Young and put it back on the shelf. You decide you'll have to come back to the shop before you head home from your vacation, but for now, the morning's getting late. Putting the book back where you found it, you head for the door, not before spotting the shopkeeper by the till and arranging some books. A gray cat lingers in the windowsill behind him, lazily curling his tail. Nodding goodbye, you head back out into the brisk morning air, a hint of snowflakes sifting down from the high mountain above you. Before you explore further, you turn in your tracks, looking back at the shop. A hand-painted wooden sign above the door reads, Fictional Bookshop. This has been Fictional Bookshop, a podcast by Liz Delton. For more about Liz, visit lizdelton.com. A Breaking of Realms, copyright Jasmine Young, read with the author's permission. For more about the author, visit jasmineyoungauthor.com. For more visits to the fictional bookshop, subscribe and come back anytime to explore a new book. Next week, come back to the bookshop to listen to the first chapter of The Girl Who Talks to Ashes by Rachel Renner. 